Today's scripture reading is found in Luke 12, verses 49 through 53. If you're using a Blue Pew Bible, the passage can be found on page 872. Please stand in honor of God's holy and inerrant word. May we have ears to hear these words of our Lord Jesus. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, As we come before your word now, I ask that your Holy Spirit would take this passage and make it come alive for us. Move us to think, to feel, or to do whatever you want in response to the truths of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so back in 2006, I was on this summer program as a college student. We traveled in this big group through different cities in China, and the main point of what we were trying to do was to learn about the healthcare system in China. So we learned things about how the Chinese medical education combines and really integrates traditional Chinese medicine with Western medicine, and it's kind of a different system there, and it's a really neat thing. But I remember this one conversation with a, a, a student um, on that trip. Um, we, were, we were on a plane. Uh, we were sitting together, uh, just having a conversation. And it came, it, came to, it came up that she had just become a Christian. And, and more so, she had recently converted from Islam. She was a Muslim uh, previously, and she had converted into Christianity. And even more uh, surprising was that she had now, because of this decision, a death threat on her. And this death threat was by her own father. Now, you don't, you don't forget those kinds of conversations very easily. Uh, you hear about persecution all around the world. It, it, it happened since the beginnings of the church. And it, it is not something that you take lightly. But this was up until that day. I had never been up close and personal, so up close and personal with someone who had to make a a really difficult choice because following Jesus with her, for for her, would cost her so much. And so it feels a lot like the passage we're going to be studying today. Jesus says some hard things here. I mean in the middle of Advent, when we're supposed to be celebrating good news of great joy, why in the world are we talking about how Jesus came to cast fire on the earth. Last week, Pastor Henry taught us about how Jesus came to proclaim good news. Next week, Pastor Jason is going to talk about how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
Those make sense. In the middle of Advent, those make sense. But casting fire on earth? Coming not to bring peace, but division? Wait a minute, Jesus. Didn't the angels praise God in, in front of the shepherds while they are keeping watch over their flocks by night, saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Wait a minute, Jesus. Did, didn't you tell your disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Didn't you say in John 16, Jesus, I have told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace? So Jesus, aren't, aren't you contradicting yourself a bit here? Uh, you, you talk about all this peace that you're wanting to give us. But Luke 12 here tells us that you're, you're not here to give peace. You're here to bring division. What, what, what's going on, Jesus? Well, for the record, I, I don't think there's a contradiction here. And I want to spend, you know, I want to spend the rest of the time I have with you to prove that. And not only prove that, I want to convince you that it's actually a good thing that Jesus came to cast fire on the earth. That it's actually good news for us that he came to not bring peace, but division. I think the Holy Spirit would include passages in the Bible like this for us to show both Christians and prospective Christians what exactly it means to follow Jesus. What are the costs of following Jesus? If you're not a Christian here today, do you really know what you're getting yourself into if you decide to become a Christian? You know, sometimes it can be easy. It can be really easy to have misguided ideas of what the kind of life you'd have if you were to become a Christian would be. But Christian, do you know the kind of Jesus that I'm talking about here today? The kind of Jesus who's here to divide and not give peace? You know, when hard times come and, and there's pain in your life because of your faith in Christ, just like my friend uh, who, who was a former Muslim, you know, it can be easy in those moments to lose heart, to be discouraged, to question God. And maybe you too have misguided ideas of what it is to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ. So for all of us in this room this morning, may scripture bring some clarity to this confusion. Why did Jesus really come into this world? And what will it cost us if we choose to follow him? So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's turn again to the book of Luke. And we're in chapter 12, verse 49. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Luke chapter 12 opens up uh, <clears throat> with this image of Jesus being surrounded by people. Uh, the Bible says he's just literally being trampled. People are just literally trampling over one another. And he, in the middle of uh, um, teaching a lot of different things, in the middle of telling parables, Jesus throws this bomb of a statement to his, his, his listeners. And he says in verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. The, I love what the New Living Translation says. It, it translates here, I have come to set the world on fire. Now, what, what, what does Jesus mean that he came to set the world on fire? Uh, so we could take this literally, for one, 
But if so, in, why in Luke 9 did Jesus rebuke James and John for asking if they should tell fire to come down from heaven and consume the Samaritans for rejecting uh, Jesus, um, refusing Jesus in their village? You know, Jesus could have cast down literal fire, um, just, like the Elijah, just like the prophet Elijah did in the Old Testament when, he cast, when the fire of the Lord fell on that altar. But Jesus didn't. So if Jesus wasn't meaning a literal casting fire on the earth, what did he mean symbolically? What was he trying to say? And I think it helps if you read the verse, verse in context with verse 51. So verse 49 and 51, you take those two together. And um, Jesus in verse 51 says that he's, he's, he's talking about how he is coming to bring division in this world and not peace. So the connection between fire and division among people on earth, it seems to be suggesting here that this fire in Luke chapter 12 is, as two commentators have suggested, a refining fire of division. A refining fire of division between believers and unbelievers. And so my point is, Jesus came to bring a metaphorical fire of clarity of clarity on the earth to distinguish between those who are his and those who are not his, between those who are under God's rule and those who are under the rule of the devil. When he came to earth, there was a decision that people would have to make about him, and that would lead to a great division and clarity of who's in his side and who's, on, who's not on his side. It was a fire of clarity. When my wife first became a Christian, um, it soon became very painfully obvious that she was uh, now going to be really different, and especially in her family. Um, being Japanese, her family, with the Buddhist influences that, that were there, um, there was this tradition of, of um, offering incense and praying uh, in front of pictures of grandparents in the home. And... That was a form of ancestor worship. But she had to tell her mother that she's no longer going to be doing that because she's a Christian. Um, seven years after one of her grandmothers died, um, again, there was this expectation of family members to show up at a temple with a monk um, and to offer incense and pray um, at that temple. And again, my wife, being a Christian, couldn't do that in good conscience. For my wife, being, being a Christian, becoming a Christian meant that she no longer could blend in to the rest of her family and mix in and feel just right and comfortable with the rest of her family like she used to. She was different, even at the cost of others thinking that she was weird or improper. But this is the cost of discipleship, to be thrust into the limelight of being different, of being in a category of other. Because when Jesus came, he came to cast the fire of clarity on earth, separating out those who now belong to him and those who don't. He didn't come to make your life warm and cozy. He came to set you apart, to call you out from darkness into light. Those were his intentions. And he did so by casting the fire of clarity on earth. So are you okay with that? 
Christian, have you settled in your mind that no matter what happens on earth, no matter what happens to your social life, no matter what happens to what others think about you, you're going to follow him wholeheartedly? Have you, have you settled in your mind that this is the kind of life that you're going to embrace? And for those of you who aren't Christians, I hope you see what following Jesus will mean for you. And that you'd be willing to embrace a kind of Jesus who's going to come and disrupt some very important parts of your life. Well, it's worth it. And I want to show you why it's worth it as we move along. So if Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 49, is the main point of what Jesus is trying to say. He's come to cast fire on the earth. He's come to set the world on fire. It's a metaphorical fire of clarity, separating out those who are his and those who aren't. And verse 50 to 53, in following that, the, the, the following verses, are going to explain exactly what he means. So let's move on, <clears throat> looking at verse 50. Look down there with me. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, the, the baptism that Jesus is talking about here is not the water baptism that happened um, like in Matthew chapter 3. The Greek word here for baptism is used in the sense of a really grueling experience that someone has to be completely plunged into. That's, that's the kind of baptism that's being used here. The same word is used in Mark chapter 10 uh, in the same way when two of his disciples, James and John, asked Jesus to let them sit at his right hand and at his left hand in glory. But Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And then he says further, you will drink the cup that I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Legend has it that the Apostle John was ordered by the Roman Emperor Domitian to be cast into a cauldron, a metal pot of burning oil, only to survive in a miraculous way. And James, he eventually dies by martyrdom at the hands of King Agrippa I. Now the cup of Jesus, that Jesus is talking about here is the same cup that he asked his father to take away from him in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion. The baptism that he's talking about here is the baptism of his death and suffering. And that's why he says that he's in great distress until it is accomplished. That word accomplished in the Greek is used in the same way in a different form when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. It is finished. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, if, if God could do anything in this world, if he was supremely sovereign and he could do anything in this world, couldn't he just snap his fingers, forgive us of our sins, and just, just make everyone believe in him? Why did Jesus have to die? Was that really necessary? And I want to say, no, Jesus' baptism of death and suffering was necessary. It was necessary. Because you can't just think of the way things, you can't just think of things the way you want to think of it. You have to really get yourself into the mind of God in order to understand why things are the way they are. And the Bible tells us that sin separates us from a holy God in a way that we could never fully understand and each of us one day is going to have to account for all the sinful actions and thoughts 
all the words and deeds before a holy God. We're going to be judged for them, seen or unseen. The Bible also tells us that sin cannot be just just swept under the rug for, for God in his mind. Sin can't just be swept under the rug. It, it can only be forgiven if there is blood shed. If someone or something dies, there has to be death involved for sin to be forgiven. That's the way God works. And so as it stands, all of us, all of us have to pay for, by death, both physically and spiritually, for our sins, which is why the natural trajectory of all of humanity is headed for hell, eternal separation from God forever. So when Jesus underwent the baptism of death, he did it for us. It was a rescue mission, a rescue mission for us going to hell. He was going to rescue us. And he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died so that we wouldn't have to be plunged into the depths of hell. It was with great pain, but also eagerness, that Jesus went to the cross because as one commentator says, he was going to suffer, he was going to suffer and save humankind at the same time. That was on the cross. So Jesus came to cast fire on the earth, came to set the world on fire, and he initiates that by going through a baptism of death, and he casts fire, but first he goes through the fire himself. For those of you who are parents, you know how much blessing of a blessing kids are. And, and especially those nine or so months leading up to the delivery, it can be gruesome sometimes. It can be grueling uh, at times for the parents, especially the mother. And then on the day of birth, there's this level of pain that women can go through that just, just men like myself really can't understand fully. And, and thank God. Um, I thank God for that. But at the same time, there's this pain that they uh, uh, under, undergo. But it's an undergoing that pain and suffering. It's an undergoing that pain and suffering that moments after, moments after, as you're holding your newborn child, you go, ah, ah, this, this, this was worth it. This is worth it. And that's the kind of mix of suffering and joy that Jesus had as he went to the cross, as he went through the baptism of his death. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that there was joy fixed before Jesus' eyes as he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So church... Do we realize that our very existence as a church depends on the fact that Jesus was willing to be baptized with the baptism of his death? He was slain, and by his blood, he ransomed a people for God from every tribe, from every people, from every language, from every nation. Be grateful. Let's be grateful for the kind of God who would suffer by fire so that we would not have to suffer the fires of hell. And if you're not a Christian, I hope it's clear now for you why Jesus had to die. Because if he didn't die the way he did, all of us would be left to fend for ourselves, for our own sins. But life doesn't have to be that way. You could be made right with God this very moment 
If you embrace the fact that Jesus Christ lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died, you can actually be forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future, if you turn away from the life of rebellion against God and turn towards him to be your savior, to ask him for your forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we've seen what Jesus actually means when he came to cast fire on the earth. It's refiner's fire that brings clarity who's with him and who's not. And this fire gets kindled as he receives his baptism, which isn't water baptism. It's the baptism by death. You guys following me? So now what does this all mean for us? What are the implications? Let's move on to verse 50 to 53. Here in this section, the focus shifts from Jesus and his pain and suffering in his baptism to the implications that all of this has for us. So read with me verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather, division. Now, this is, this is hard to understand. It, it's, it's also an opportunity to remind us um, of how important it is to interpret Scripture using other parts of Scripture when, it's, when you're trying to come to conclusions about what to think. You might be wondering, wait a minute, I, I thought Jesus came to give us peace in this world. And, and you'd be right. We know from other parts of Scripture that becoming a Christian clearly um, is supposed to bring us some very tangible peace. Peace with God and peace with God's people. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us a kind of vertical peace with God through the gospel. Ephesians 2 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus came to unite Jews and Gentiles together, all of us together, bring a horizontal kind of peace between people who were once alienated from each other. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, offer your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came to fill us with an internal peace in place of our day-to-day -day anxieties. So yes, Jesus has come to give us peace, no doubt. But how are you going to explain verse 51? How are you going to explain verse 51 where Jesus totally seems to kind of contradict himself? Peace? I haven't come to give peace. I'm here to divide. Look at Luke 12, starting verse 52. For, now, for from now on in one house there will be divided, five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is going on? Peace? I haven't, been, I, I haven't come here to give peace. I'm here to divide. That's what he says. And so how do we deal with this apparent contradiction? Is he here for peace or not? I think a parallel passage in Matthew 10 
can help us out here. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you, starting in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth or peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he goes on in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So putting Matthew 10 and Luke 12 together, here's what I conclude. When Jesus brings peace to God's people, which he does, there will be a necessary dividing line between those who follow the ways of Jesus and those who follow the ways of this world. Jesus does bring peace, but following him may cost us the kind of peace we may have once enjoyed with people, including our very own family members, who don't get why we've chosen to follow Jesus, who don't get why uh, we've made such a decision, and may even oppose us for doing so. But Jesus is asking, will you trade in peace with the world for peace with me? That's the cost of discipleship. You see, Jesus is saying here, you think I came to make your life more nice and comfortable? No. I'm here to rescue you from hell. And sometimes pulling you away from hell and the grips and the a grip of the devil means a painful tear away from the things and the people that you've once loved. That's what he's trying to say. And you might say, well, I thought Jesus came to bring unity. He did. But Jesus didn't Jesus just say he's here to bring division? He does. And so here's the bottom line. The unity and the peace that Jesus brings is with him and his followers. The, the division is with the world. And in one sense, every one of us will have to experience some implication of this in our lives if we're serious about following Jesus. Just like you can't serve both God and money, your ultimate loyalty can't be Jesus and your parents or Jesus and your friends, or Jesus and your job, something or someone is going to have to take first place in your life and everything and everyone else, second and third and fourth. Listen, Jesus came to win your heart. And that can lead to some painful situations where you have to choose between him and the world. Back when my wife and I were going through premarital and pre-engagement counseling with Pastor Fred, I, I was at first really sure that the thing that really needed changing was with my wife. And soon enough, it became painfully obvious that the one who really needed changing was me. And, and I'll explain why. Um, you see, I, growing up, I was an only child, and just the way the dynamics were with my parents, I was fiercely loyal to my parents and often went with whatever they wanted me to do. Not always, but I was that kind of kid. I was that kind of kid growing up. And, and, but in marriage, a husband is supposed to leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, that says in Genesis 2. And part of that leaving is, that my, is to say my primary loyalty is in marriage, humanly speaking. I'm not talking about God here humanly speaking, is no longer going to be to my parents, 
but to my wife. And that was hard. That was hard. And so I had to have some hard conversations with my parents. And as a married man, I've had to learn to tear away a certain level of emotional attachment to my parents in order to give my primary loyalties to my wife. So this is all humanly speaking here, humanly speaking, but I'm trying to make a point because it's the same way with Jesus. Jesus came to win your heart. He wants you more than anything else. He wants your heart. And the more you align yourself with him, the more tension may come between you and the world. And are you okay with that? Not just okay with that, will you actually embrace that? Will you embrace a kind of life that's filled with this kind of tension where there's peace with God on one hand, but there's also pain wherever Satan and the world oppose us? So for those who don't consider yourselves Christians in this room right now, I hope it's now clear the kind of Jesus you'd be following if you were to give your life to him. He's not just here to give you a superficial kind of peace. No, he's here to give you a peace with God and a peace with God's people. And that that kind of peace that will last into eternity. Included in a decision to become a Christian is not only to receive Jesus as as your Savior from your sins, but Jesus as your Lord. And if Jesus is your Lord, you're going to be increasingly non-conformed to this world. And that may mean increasing tension with this world in different ways, including conflict and division with people you love. People who are in in conformity with this world. People who don't see Jesus as Lord. To become a Christian is to accept these terms and conditions. And for those of you who might be in that very kind of situation where you've become a Christian, you've made that decision to follow Jesus, and now you've made some painful life choices that are now causing a lot of friction with people in your life and maybe even your own family, what are you going to do? How do you deal with that? And I just want to encourage you by saying two things here. First, pray. Pray for God to give you the wisdom to navigate this kind of situation where you want to honor your father, your mother. You want to be a good friend. You want to be a good um, brother or sister. But at the same time, you also, more importantly, want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, no matter the cost. Pray that God would help you navigate that with wisdom. But also pray for God to give you strength to follow him no matter what. And number two, trust. Trust God with the outcome of the situation, even if it means strained relationships with people for a season. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Final thing. Christian, Jesus may have been the Lord of your life when you first became a Christian. But is he Lord of your life today? I want you to ask yourself, is there anything you'd consider off limits to God? Is there anything you'd say, no, no, Jesus, don't touch that. You can't touch that. You can't have anything in my life but that. Fill in the blank. If Jesus takes away blank, I would really struggle with loving Jesus I would really struggle with following him if Jesus just took away that this. What is that? I think for me, 
The biggest thing in my life right now is a desire to see a church planted. Um, as strange as that might sound for you guys. And as great of a thing that might be, I know that it'll become an idol. It would have become an idol in my heart if one day I can honestly, if I can't honestly say, Lord, if you want this door to close, so be it. If you want me to stop, I'm good. Because this is not ultimately about you. Sorry, this is ultimately about you and not what I want for my life. It's not about my reputation. It's not about my cravings for ministry success. It's not about my desire to be somebody in this world. So the division that Jesus is coming to bring and the division that Jesus is going after in your life might not be about dying to your needs to, to please your parents. It could be your dreams for making it into a certain college or your hopes for getting married to a certain someone or the security you have right now with your current job. It could be anything in this world that's gripping your heart and taking you away from your first love, Jesus Christ. So I want to give you a minute or so to wait on God in silence. And I want to ask you to pray and ask God to search your heart. And just ask if there's anything you, you'd say, you can't touch that, God. That's off limits. Anything you'd say, no, Jesus, uh, you can have anything but, but that. And if the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, let this be an opportunity to humbly repent and cry out to God for forgiveness, and an opportunity to pray for his help in giving your whole heart back to him. Because after all, Jesus came to cast fire on this earth. He came to set this world on fire. And he did so by the baptism of his death, so that in the end, he would win your heart. So let's, let's spend some time in prayer, and then I'll close. Whom have we in heaven but you? And earth has nothing we desire besides you, Lord Jesus. Our flesh and our hearts may fail, but God, may you be the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Amen.